Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. Michael Dominguez is an award-winning sales representative, a member of the Remax Hall of Fame, and the founder of Doors to Wealth Real Estate Group. After becoming a realtor in 2008, Michael realized the opportunities in real estate investing and bought his first investment property, proceeding to add to his portfolio for 10 consecutive years. When he entered real estate in 2008, Michael was drawn towards people who saw real estate ownership as a vehicle for building wealth and reaching their goals. Many of his current and former clients were able to quit their full-time jobs, do more of what they want to do, and seek their passions. As an investor realtor, Michael discovered real passion for helping others build their wealth so they can experience the choices and financial freedom they desire. Michael has been named Realtor of the Year by the Real Estate Investment Network twice now, as well as Canadian Real Estate Magazine Investor Realtor of the Year. He was also awarded Remax Jazz Mentorship Award. In his downtime, Michael's a diehard Los Angeles Dodgers fan, an avid traveler who desires to have as many once-in-a-lifetime experiences as possible. Currently, he and his wife own 11 two-unit dwellings in Ontario, Canada. He just published his book, which we're going to be talking about. Without any further delays, let's get this show started. Michael Dominguez, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. So excited to have you on the show. You're a returning guest. Thank you so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. I'm uh, looking forward to having a chat. Well, now this is interesting because a lot of grounders, a number of things have changed for you since the last time that you were on the show, uh, not the least of which uh, you are now an author. And uh, I don't know if you've hit that best-selling category just yet. I know that's one of your goals, but uh, we can talk about that as well. So congratulations on the release of your book. Uh, Got to be an exciting time. Thank you. Yeah, it's... Uh, it it's one of these things that I, I really didn't know when I started my journey, how many hours and how many hundreds of hours it would take me to write this sucker. But, uh, but it's a real, uh, I'm really proud of it. And more importantly, I think a lot of the people who have been reading it have been giving me some really positive feedback. So if I could help some people, then that's even better. So. Well, let's, uh, you know, there's a, a number of places we can start, but these days, and we will definitely get to the book. First off, give me the title of your book, give our audience the title of your book. 
Yeah, it's called Armchair Real Estate Millionaire. Okay, so isn't that interesting? Armchair Real Estate Millionaire, and we're going to talk about the journey to uh, being able to get to write that book to actually have that title. I think that's an exciting title and a very uh, it's a big statement of where you are in your life these days and uh, want to hear all about it. Now, let's go back to... You know, first and foremost, given where you are today, uh, you've written your book, but what what are you doing these days? So if somebody says, Michael Dominguez, what do you do? Aside from being a best-selling author, what is it that you're doing these days? Following up on the book is certainly something I've been doing a lot of. I've been doing more podcasts and interviews that I've ever done in my life, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm still doing a part-time realtor gig, mm-hmm. which is what I've been doing for, you know, I've been doing full-time for the longest time. But honestly, I've been spending more time in the last uh, year or two focusing on um, various types of wealth creation, yeah. like uh, value investing and uh, and option trading. And uh, I've been doing some private mortgages as well. So, so I'm sort of learning and dabbling in more things than I've ever done before, which is kind of fun. Well, you know, you talk about, you know, options trading or, uh, you know, value investing. So you've kind of diversified. I don't know if that's a recent thing or that's something always you've played in, which is the equity market outside of uh, real estate. Tell me, was that something that you've always done in parallel to real estate investing or were you all in in real estate and then through just a kind of a natural organic transition, you started to say, well, listen, I got to take some of this capital and put it into a different environment. What what got you to where you are today in that regard? I've actually been in equities longer than I've been in real estate, actually, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't do it well. <laughs> and uh, and it's funny, my the skill sets I learned as being a um, sophisticated real estate investor, I've actually started to apply some of those strengths uh, in value investing as well. I've One of the classic things that I, I often say and you know I've learned from rain is uh, I, I want to be the smartest person in the room or at least do my absolute best if I'm if I'm playing at a poker table I don't want to be the worst player at the table yeah and unfortunately when it came to equities I really wasn't that great at it and I was I was winning as much as I was losing but you know and in real estate that wasn't happening mm-hmm. so oh, I've taken a lot of really good courses and uh, and and learning um, kind of along the same path as what I did with real estate, with rain and, and other vet venues I've been doing with equities and I'm doing a heck of a lot better. So, uh, and I'm enjoying it too. Uh, it's, it's nice to actually make some money for a change. <laughs> well, it's an interesting conversation to talk about real estate and let's go back a little bit and uh, let's talk about your journey as a real estate investor. Uh, you've been uh, part of the rain community for a number of years. Uh, you were a realtor, and but I don't I don't recall, Michael. I don't think you started out as a realtor. I don't know when you transitioned into that space. But give us a little bit of background of how real estate got into your blood. Well, actually, um, back in two thousand and eight, I actually became a realtor first, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and prior to that, uh, I, I used to work for a company called Pet Value Canada, and I was selling franchises for them. And I mm. worked for a number of uh, potential franchisees, helping them buy businesses. And so I really felt that that was my um, my strength is helping people really build wealth through. Uh, in, in in that time, it was it was uh, franchising. Yeah. And so when I went into real estate, honestly, I, I I sort of gravitated to the investors because I felt like I was with my people. And uh, fast forward a year or so, and I'd helped a number of people doing some investing. And I thought, you know what? Uh, I should be doing this too. And uh, I think it was twofold. Not only did I see the wealth opportunities, but I also saw uh, it as an opportunity to give myself some credibility to future investors. And uh, I, I honestly didn't know what I was doing. You know, just getting a real estate license doesn't mean a heck of a lot. And I did what uh, what I was told to do, which was buying undervalued properties in mediocre areas and uh, and trying to fix them up and and trying to, uh, you know, I renovated them and I tried to make wealth that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I honestly, I struggled in my first couple of properties I bought. And, and the reason for that was I, I was just buying, in my opinion, the wrong properties. And I joined Rain, honestly, not so much to be, to learn, but as a as a networking opportunity, mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing all kinds of deals, 
And I found, although I, you know, I did meet some people and I did some deals, the amount of education I got from Rain, and all of a sudden I learned, you know, there must be a better way, and there was. And all of a sudden I started to focus on buying quality properties and quality neighborhoods that offered the right market fundamentals, finding the right type of tenants, and mm. then being able to hold on to those properties for a long period of time. And it's amazing how when you buy the right type of properties in the right areas, they just simply go up in value as they become more and more in demand. And you look back in five and 10 years and you say, holy crap, you know, it's just, it's amazing how when I turned 40, I really didn't have a lot of net worth. And by the time I turned 55, I was able to retire, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you know, something that's interesting about what you know, realtors and getting into that space. And uh, this was shared by a good friend of mine who's a realtor and, and it never really had occurred to me, but we know, and you probably have this stat, but I know it's a, it's a, it's amazingly low how many realtors actually don't own their own home, let alone investment real estate. And which is quite shocking to me because as an investor, I'm going, Gosh, as a realtor, you got to be stumbling across deals. So let's just unpack that a little bit. And, you, you, you know, it is quite amazing, I think, how few realtors actually invest in real estate. Uh, but give me some of your background, some of your experience in that regard. Yeah, I was I was really fortunate. I um, actually I think the second or third deal I ever did, there was a, uh, a veteran realtor who nobody here has ever heard of, but I'm going to say it anyway, Mike Montagano, mm -hmm. who was probably 70 years old when I when I met him. And uh, he was still doing a little bit of real estate just for fun. And, and he literally put his arm around my shoulder and he said, Mike, if there's one thing you do, invest in real estate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I did hear the message a little bit from other people, but he really was driving it home. And I found out years later that he said that message to almost everybody, but, uh, mm -hmm. uh, but I really took heart to it. And, uh, and you know, I get I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. I'm a I'm a I'm a facts and figures type of person. And I was seeing people that were really building generational wealth. And I was speaking to really in, in most of the offices, uh, the real estate offices, the uh, the wealthiest people were the ones that owned real estate. They weren't necessarily the ones that had the highest amount of gross commission income. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you're absolutely right. It, it's it's it was the case 15, 12 or 10, 15 years ago, and it's the case today. Uh, I can tell you that whether or not my book ever becomes a great bestseller, if I can help out a number of, of realtors uh, decide to, to make the leap and go forward, I feel I've accomplished something. I've actually spoken to a number of real estate groups uh, for realtors uh, trying to convince them to move forward. And it's shocking to me how they see the values going up and they see all the market fundamentals. They've done the research and yet they won't take action for themselves. I, I just don't get it. Well, it is. It's a psychology of anything, right? It is a mindset. It is where fear gets in our own way. And, you know, it was uh, something that uh, a, a good friend of mine who's a realtor has been a very successful realtor as well as a real estate investor. But it took him a long time to get into the world of investing in real estate. But he, it was until he was a little bit older where it occurred to him. He goes, you know something? I've been a realtor for a long time. I'm very successful as a realtor, but the reality of it is, is I'm on the treadmill as I'm having to do deals to keep that income going, but I'm not creating wealth. I've created an amazing income because I do a lot of deals. I do a lot of volume. And he eventually, you know, and he to this day owns a brokerage and it's main, you know, he's maintained quite a small brokerage. It's quite boutique-ish. But the point is this, is that he shared with me that the reality for him was going, I'm making a great income, but I'm not really creating the kind of wealth that is going to support me in the future when I want to slow down. How do I quit being a realtor? And I went, oh, you know, something. sometimes I think we just don't think of that, you know, and it, it's, a, it's, it's true of many in the industry. And I'll use realtor and even a mortgage broker as a, as a classic example. Uh, they don't build that real estate portfolio. And uh, although they make great incomes, they're on the constant treadmill of, uh, you know, eating what they kill, kind of, so to speak. Yeah, there's, there's no realtor pension fund. And, uh, and you're absolutely right. And, and, and I can tell you that a lot of people that were in the business when I started that were in my neighborhood that were the top agents are still top agents today and, and active full-time agents. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's because I became a realtor later in my life career uh, and I'd had one or two careers before this that this was never a 
work till I'm dead type of industry for me. Mm. It was a means to an end. And mm. that became very evident early on for me as, as I wanted to sort of be like a, uh, one of those shooting stars where I, I had some really big numbers and then, and then I bow out gracefully and enjoy my life. That was, that was something I wanted to do. And, uh, and yeah, there's a lot of realtors that literally do deals weeks before they die. And, and that's just, that's, you know, they, they say that that's what their passion is and such like that. But to me, it's kind of sad. Now, let's talk about this a little bit. I mean, because when we look at the fact that you got involved in creating that financial future for yourself through investing in real estate, uh, I go back to one of the careers, which was on the franchise side of it. And I've heard it in your language a couple of different times, Michael, which is a part of what got you to where you are today is your desire or part of what lights you up is supporting the success of others. So you did that as a realtor, but then you also saw the door of opportunity for sharing with others that investing in real estate was good for them. And you actually started guiding and supporting people in doing that. And back in the days of you selling and doing your deals with franchises, really you were supporting individuals in that franchise model, which was teaching them how to be business owners or getting them aligned with being a business owner. All to say that, and now you've written the book, uh, all to say that you're really driven to support others. And whenever you're a contribution, I think just things come out of that. What's your thoughts on that as you reflect back on your career over the years and where you are today? Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I actually had to tone it down in my first few years as an <laughs> investor. And the reason for that is I sounded like uh, one of those nighttime television shows where, <laughs> you know, it was it was like it was almost too good to be true kind of thing. And, yeah. you know, it was like I was selling Ginsu knives or something <laughs> like that. And, and some of my friends actually even told me, they say, you know, stop talking about real estate. You know, I'm not ready. I don't want to do it. And so I had to actually, you know, I picked and sh picked and chose my my times to actually have the conversation. Yeah. But but absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to. I'm going to give you and and Don some credit on this as well as is the amount of education I got from some of my mentors early on just were so impactful to me. And it's funny when when people stand up on a stage and now that I'm doing that a little bit as well, you wonder, you know, is there anybody even paying attention? Hello, is there anyone even watching this? <laughs> you know, just on your phone. You know, that's the reaction that, uh, you know, I'm sure that you guys get from time to time as well. Are you really paying attention to this thing? Yeah. Well, I can tell you, I was paying attention. I really was. And uh, and making notes most of the time and, and actually taking action. And the one thing I promised myself is that, you know, you guys didn't need to be there, you know, out there hustling all across the country talking about stuff. You were doing it because you were passionate about it yourself. And I always said, you know, if I could pay it forward at some point in the future and teach others and sort of keep that baton going to that next generation, I'm going to do it. And that's kind of where I feel I am right now. I'm just passing on the baton and, and I'm hoping that the next generation take action and then they credit me and move forward and then they keep going from there. It just makes so much sense. Well, it's interesting about, you know, Michael, is that you've always been, a, you know, you've been a part of the rank community and uh, you've actually done it quite quietly. I mean, we were always aware of you, but it was only it's only been in the past few years, actually, that you put up your hand and said, hey, I'd like to be able to, you know, be a bigger con contribution. And, and that was kind of cool. But you've always been working in the background doing what you do as a realtor and then building your portfolio and helping others do that. Can we talk a little bit about, you know, you're in uh, Ontario, uh, Southern Ontario. Give me a little bit of a background. Give our listeners a bit of a background because here you are at 55-ish years old. Uh, you've slowed down. You're cruising around in your cool Corvette and uh, you wrote your book and uh, you're working at a pace that you're comfortable with and you're happy with. But what, you know, what kind of a portfolio did you grow? What were you, uh, were you a jack of all trades? Were you a ninja-like focused investor once you got dialed in? Give us a little bit of background of what was your strategy investing in real estate, Michael. Sure. And you're absolutely right. I started out a little bit unfocused. And uh, my first purchase I did was actually a sixplex in Coburg. And uh, Coburg is about an hour, hour and a half outside of the Toronto area. And uh, and again, why did I pick Coburg? Why did I pick a sixplex? It was there, and I thought it was a good deal. It was nothing more sophisticated than that. Yeah, I didn't do research or anything. 
Um, then I bought a two-unit dwelling in Oshawa that was in the worst part of town. And again, it, it was a great deal. So I thought it was, you know, I was buying it cheap. And, uh, <laughs> and, and in that period of time, uh, shortly after that, I purchased a uh, student rental in Aurelia. And, uh, and coincidentally, I own none of those three properties to this day. <laughs> and, uh, and so what I own is I, I currently, I, I was never one... Like, you know, when you see these guys in, in rain or wherever, and they own, you know, 8 billion properties or yeah, something yeah. like that, that was never my goal. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to buy uh, selected quality properties and in, in quality neighborhoods and that were, were primed for appreciation and certainly primed for incredible tenant profile. So my current prof, uh, tenant uh, or my current mix is I've got 11 legal two-unit dwellings. Yeah. Few of them are with joint ventures, but 11 of them. Yep. And I have a joint venture partnership with a nineplex as well that, uh, that I don't manage that one. But my wife does the majority of our property management. And it's simply because the tenant profile we have is just simply so strong that uh, it's, it's, I wouldn't want to say it's maintenance free, but it, it's a, it's a really minimal part-time job. That's that made me a millionaire. So there's something interesting about what you're talking about. And I love your message, which is there are a lot of investors that misunderstand the game of investing in real estate. And that is that you hear about those individuals that own, you know, many, many doors, let's say it's 25, 50, a hundred, or even more doors. But what, those looking in at that don't understand is that those investors are often, often making their living doing real estate investment. In other words, they're generating income from it uh, for the current, this is how I'm paying my bills. It's part of what I do. Uh, what you did was you had a great career as a realtor in the background or in parallel to that, you bought properties strategically that you were going to buy. They were great properties and you intended to hang on to them for a number of years, which you did. So you're talking, you know, a dozen properties or less. And here you sit this many years later going, yeah, this is pretty much a, a pretty good life. I'll supplement it doing a couple of side hustles and doing a little bit of real estate and work at a pace. But it allowed you, even with 11 properties, to kind of slow down, kick back and go, hey, this is pretty good. And the cool thing about that portfolio that you've got is you were strategic about it. You know, those duplexes translate to, you know, approximately, you know, 23, 24 doors, whatever the number is actually, or more. But the point is, is that you look at that portfolio and it's, you know, you look into the future, it supports you quite well in additional income today, this many years later. Is, is that an accurate statement, Michael? 100%. And one of my goals early on, and I should say early on, when I turned 50, I actually had um, an aspiration to to build a net worth of probably you know I was I was thinking if I do everything the right way and I work for the rest of my life I can have a net worth over a hundred million dollars that that there was a there was a path to that avenue mm -hmm. and uh, and you know a couple of things happened in the next couple of years after that I had a couple I had a few clients that you know passed away two of which were actually younger than me one with a heart attack and and one one because of cancer. And I started to think, you know, why the heck am I doing all of that? And it was funny. I had a financial advisor a few years back that said, you've reached a point now where every dollar you earn from now on is either going to go to charity, your, your heirs, mm -hmm. or it's taxes. Uh -huh. You choose. And, uh, you know, so every Sunday open house that you're doing, every evening phone call you're making, you're basically doing it for taxes, charity, or your child. And, <laughs> and my child's not always the most productive person in the world. I'm thinking, why the hell am I working that hard yeah. when he's not? And, yeah. and so, you know, I said, you know, let's, let's start to enjoy life a little bit more. And I really focused on, on monthly dividends, monthly cash flow, monthly residuals. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I set a number, I said, if I can reach $15,000 a month, in an in income coming in mm -hmm. from various different sources, I would reach my financial freedom number. Yep. And so within three years, I made that happen. And so now I'm actually generating a fair bit more than that. And it's it's really cool, but I spend money frivolously and I'm still building wealth. <laughs> That's so awesome. You know, what I like about it, Michael, is that, you know, there's, there's, 
you know, your, your goals were actually quite humble. You're, you know, you were methodical, you worked hard. There's nobody that would, can ever question that. I mean, you were also a top performing realtor. And uh, while you were putting your own portfolio together, you were doing what is so great about being like, you know, somebody in your position is you were also being a contribute uh, contribution to others, which I mean, gosh, what, you know, in life, it really is, is that ultimately we get to a point in our lives where we really understand that life just isn't about us. Uh, you know, we feel far happier, far more satisfaction, far more fulfillment when we can actually help others. And uh, the quicker people get that message, the deeper they get the message, I think the more that people will really start to enjoy their life and actually have a degree of success. So it's kind of cool to hear you describe it. And what I like a lot about it is, you know, an 11 properties, even today in this lending environment, in this actual environment that we're experiencing right now, it's not a number that's out of touch. No, no. And I'll even pair it back. Uh, in my book, I, I, I was able to interview some what I called success stories. Mm. And I took people with as little as two properties sure. and how it's changed their life. And, you know, you, you know, a lot of people that I'm sure you interview uh, have so many properties. But let, let me share a story with two properties. Please. They were in their 20s. Yep. They were single. They or they or, or, you know, they had no children, but they just got married. And about three, four years later, they, they were able to buy the two properties. And they weren't necessarily the best properties, but they were good. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had their child. And, I'm, and she told me about a year later, she says, you know, I was thinking about the amount of money I'd be spending on education for my child in 18, 20 years. And it's, it is overwhelming. But then she thought, all I'd have to do is refinance one of my properties I bought and, and manage. And, uh, and his entire education is paid for. Mm -hmm. Like, how's that not a success story? That's, that's a great story. And, uh, you know, they're on their way to becoming millionaires just from two properties that are well positioned. Yeah. And, uh, and they're, they may one day buy a third, but they don't even like, you know, they've, they've reached a point of comfort just and choices just from having those two properties alone. I got to share a story because you reminded me of it. You know, one of the master classes I teach is in a line with what you just shared, Michael. And that is the parents that go, I got to spend, you know, I got to, I want to plan for my child's education. And this uh, was a lesson I learned. Well, it's not that I learned it. I actually came across a couple that worked for the Real Estate Investment Network. They had two kids and they were one day in the lunchroom and they had just started their real estate investing. They're, they're having coffee and doing their thing and they're chatting and they're talking about how much they were going to save for the kids' education in an RESP. And I looked at them, and, and I'm a good good friend, of course, still am to this day, and, and a bit of their, their mentor, if you will. And I said to them, I go, you guys, can I make a suggestion to you? Consider that you buy a piece of property and just allocate it to your children's education. You know, in 20 years or 18 years, what do you think that would do? And they went, that's really cool. And I said, well, let's even expand on that a little bit. I'm going to give you another little insight. Do you know that over the course of that time, let's just say conservatively on a half million dollar property, uh, given the interest rates and the up and down and all the rest of it, you conservatively will be buying that mortgage down about $6,000 to $7,500 a year. I said, you get that, right? And they're doing the math and they're going, yeah, that's pretty close. It could be five grand. But, you know, as you go ahead and go further, yeah, it'd be about 7,500 bucks. I said, okay, so you're talking about right now taking 600 bucks a month for these two kids after tax. I get that it's going into an education fund and there'll be consequences or tax things that you can do. But you're talking about 600 months, bucks a month out of your after income cash flow every month and putting it away. Is that what I'm hearing? And they go, yeah, well, I, I don't know how else to do it. I go, well, consider this. Take the 600 bucks a month that you were going to put to the education, have your real estate, get it handled, and then take the 600 bucks a month and do whatever you want with it and put it into your family and enjoy it today and understand that somebody else is putting 600 bucks a month away for your child's education. And that was a game changer for them. And it's just, you know what that was? And as much as it, you know, some people it's like, wow, never thought of it. 
it's a bit of an epiphany. It's so simple, but it really boils down to when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change, shifted their perspective. And, you know, that little, that like I'll call it a strategy or a tactic, I mean, it just works. I've done it with so many uh, RAIN members now, pointed it out, many parents. So I share that because I think it's worth sharing. And it's just, oh gosh, I mean, I can keep 600 bucks a month in my pocket. I can keep 600 bucks a month to enjoy my family today. That's a big shift, dude. It absolutely is. And now I do want to point out to any listeners who are thinking of buying their first investment property is, is the first thing I like to point out is, you are running a business and those that think it's going to be like, I use the term armchair. It doesn't mean absentee. (laughs) Uh, There is, there is, um, you know, two to five hours a month in, in part-time side hustle type work that needed to be done. And uh, actually in one of my chapters I talk about is some of the part-time tasks that you're going to need to do from time to time. And that will include, you know, visiting the property every six months. It may be dealing with the odd repair that's needed to be done. You don't want to have deferred maintenance because that just leads to more yeah. problems down the way. You know, it's you, you've got revenue like a business. You've got expenses like a business. Uh, if it, you know, the old if it quacks like a duck and it uh, walks like a duck, it's a duck. And, <laughs> and this is a business and treat it as such. And uh, and that business is going to pay off in the long run for you, for sure. Well, you said something there that, of course, treat real estate investing like a business, one of the cornerstones of RAIN and what we teach. But, you know, something you said is is really clear, which is you. it's okay to delegate, don't abdicate. And that's the mistake that some people make is they abdicate rather than delegate. And delegate is fine. You know, you're going to delegate property management. It doesn't mean that you're going to ignore it. Uh, you, you, you know, you may delegate some particular task, but it doesn't mean you're going to ignore it. And that's the fundamental lesson that I think many real estate investors can learn. When we go back, Michael, tell me a little bit about your book. What inspired you to write it? And kind of what's the context for your book? What are people going to learn and discuss? by reading your book yeah so the the context of the book is as i said the the title is armchair real estate millionaire it's a part-time side hustle opportunity that could make you a millionaire essentially what what premises and the key is to buy quality properties i've already said quality properties in quality neighborhoods attracting quality tenants leading to quality profits and uh many of the chapters are not talking about getting from one to 100 properties, but in some cases getting as, as little as three quality properties and joining what I call the Triple Crown Club and uh, and and simply holding onto those properties for a decade. Uh, it's funny, just just yesterday, I was running the numbers with uh, with, a, with a realtor actually, you know, going full circle of our conversation sure. that's never purchased properties and he's a top performing agent. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a number of reasons why he hasn't, but regardless, he hasn't. And uh, we started running the numbers as far as what the growth has been in the GTA over the last 21 years since the turn of the century. So when we're talking about the turn of the century, we're not talking a couple years now, we're talking 21 years. And the GTA, and you know, you might say, well, this is not sustainable, but it's been happening for 21 years, has been growing at about a seven to seven and a half percent annualized clip uh, as far as appreciation and growth. And before you say that's not sustainable, all of the market fundamentals that you learn through rain are supporting the fact that if anything, the numbers are going to continue to rise. There's just uh, there's simply more and more demand in the GTA, and there's just not enough supply to support it. And so, you know, going back to your your uh, economics 101 class, when demand keeps rising and supply doesn't go up with it, the prices are gonna go up. And so uh, we ran the numbers and we thought if you could buy just two, just two properties <laughs> in in the uh, Durham region uh, for $800,000, and we, we, we actually, we pulled out a calculator, we ran the numbers, and uh, holding on to those properties for 10 years that will give you a net worth uh, just on those two properties alone over $1 million. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, my book has a lot to do with just that. It's teaching that lesson and, and going through strategies and motivation to get you to move forward and to, to make those one, two, and three purchases. Now, if you want to go beyond that and buy your 15th property and 17th yep. property and get a gold award with rain, awesome. Mm-hmm. But honestly, three properties can, in fact, change your life and give you financial freedom 
to and choices to to move forward and that's that's the lesson i'm trying to teach in my book so what do you think it is from your given how much work you've done with others what do you think gets in people's way what are you seeing or are you seeing a consistent kind of block or challenge that people bump up against you know i say it's often fear and mindset and people just need to get the hell out of their own way but what's your experience out of it uh michael you know when you when you look at it people go no i want that but they don't seem to take action what's your what's your kind of read on that you're absolutely right fear is the number one uh reason for it and i always say you know there's there's usually two reasons why you know they're they're afraid to take action is they've heard it through the grapevine. I always say Uncle Larry, who heard it from a friend, yeah. said this is a nightmare and they had a bad experience. They purchased and they lost all their money. Uncle Larry said it wasn't a good idea. And meanwhile, Uncle Larry's on, you know, he's renting right now. Yeah. But uh but you know, they're listening to Uncle Larry versus actually doing their own research. That's the first one. And the other one is it's fun when you talk to investors and you, you get a, a bunch of investors in a room together. And it seems like we always want to one up each other with our stupid tenant stories. <laughs> um, and we share our worst scenarios. And honestly, uh, I have a couple stories that I even share in the book that could compete as one of the worst stories out there. And, yeah. and you know, I don't need to get into that today, but there's there's some fun stories I do. And actually, my wife, Lisa, has a fun game that she does, and she's actually a realtor now um, as well. And uh, and she says, well, we're looking for listings now. If you guys are so unhappy, anyone looking to list their property? <laughs> and, of course, the room goes silent at that time. So the thing I'd like to share with anybody who's actually even contemplating investing is to do your own research and, and, and talk to the people who are actually taking action and doing a buy and hold. Uh, because it, it's really making a huge difference in their lives. I, I like to quote um, uh, the Bill Gates uh, quote, where he says, people tend to overestimate what they can accomplish in one year and under, underestimate what they can accomplish in 10. Mm-hmm. And and that's that that means a lot because like in, in one year, you don't really see the huge you know, windfall. You're not going to become a millionaire overnight. Mm-hmm. But if you follow the same practices and do the right things over and over, consistent success is going to lead to significant wealth. You know, I I think you make a really good point and we see it all the time, which is that, you know, we see investors or want to be investors. They just want results quicker. They want it to be faster. Maybe they want it to be easier, but mostly they just want it to be faster. And uh, so that therefore they go now, you know, and then they, you know, a year and a year and a year. And the next thing, you know, five years goes by, they still haven't done anything. Maybe they've tried to you know, a few kind of late night whatevers and uh, still haven't achieved that goal where if they would have started on the investment in real estate, you know, journey earlier, they'd be five years ahead of the game, five years of mortgage buy down, five years of equity appreciation. So they're leaving a lot of money on the table uh, when they don't take action. And that's an interesting uh, kind of, I don't know, it's an, an interesting observation, you know, we share all the time is that you know, I've been part of the rain community over 20 years, and there is no question that uh, working with literally now thousands of real estate investors, I've recognized the patterns of success and then the patterns of those who kind of get going, false starts, don't ever really have an outcome that they're looking for. And they're very different patterns. I mean, there's just no question about it. And, uh, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, you didn't do this alone. And, you know, first off, how important, because one of the things I'm most proud of of the Real Estate Investment Network is the fact that it's about community, a community of like-minded individuals. It's about culture and that culture within the community of people that want to help each other. And then environment, you know, putting yourself into an environment for success. But when you look at your own journey, how important was it for you to have contact with other like-minded individuals? And were you also fighting off those individuals who are trying to shut you down? What was your experience in, in the, I guess, that uh, friction that you might have uh, had in with the, the, the naysayers, if you will, the dream killers? Sure. I, um, first off, in my book, I've actually probably got three or four pages of acknowledgments because 
Like my wife actually said, really, you want to acknowledge you? You feel like you got a Academy Award speech. But honestly, <laughs> this was something that um, our wives so are so, our wives are so great, aren't they? <laughs> Here's um, your series. That, I, I love you. I support you. But tone it down a little, will you, buddy? <laughs> but you know, this was a chance for me to sure. to give credit to so many people that had an impact in my life. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, you know, yeah, I didn't thank my grade one teacher or something <laughs> like that, but there were so many people that were there for me along the path. Yeah. But it's interesting how um, a lot of my circle of friends and, you know, we've all heard the situation where you're the average of the five friends you hang around with mm. the most. Well, no one in my circle were real estate investors. And uh, and I like to share this story really quickly is is that um, when I finally did take action and I bought a few properties, you know, in, in my uh, rain group and my local uh, meetup as well, they were applauding my success and such like that. And but meanwhile, my circle of friends were, they weren't being negative, but they're saying, oh, sure, you probably bought another property. I said, well, actually we did, but we didn't want to talk about it anymore because they didn't want to hear it. Yeah. Where they were sort of saying, you know, haven't you got enough already? My investor circle were saying, okay, you've, you've bought two this year, where's the third one? Mm. And I was saying, holy mackerel, come on guys. <laughs> and so like they were, almost pointing me or pushing me forward. Mm -hmm. were, and I'm not saying the other guys were intentionally holding me back, yeah. but there was a little bit of that. So absolutely being part of a group like Rain and seeing people that were action takers uh, certainly certainly went a long way for that. It's, it, was, it was so imperative. And, and one comment I wanted to make as well in, in the last thing we were talking about is I think another thing holding people back is they're they're looking for the perceived home run, mm. and until they get that 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 dream situation, that that private deal that someone's practically giving away, it's almost mm. criminal. <laughs> and unless they get that, they find ways of walking away from that deal. Mm. And I can tell you that I've helped people buy properties literally at market value, and but it had the right market fundamentals. And, you know, this is something that uh, that Don Campbell used to say is I'd happily pay market value for a property today if it had the right market fundamental. And then I'll sell it the market value 20 years from now. And I'd be OK with the difference in value as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And and that like I find that the people are waiting for the home runs. They they're actually they're, they're giving up on on doubles and triples that became home runs within a couple of years and they just didn't see it. And, uh, you know, we've we've all got friends and acquaintances that you know, five years later, they're still saying, well, I'm just, I'm just not quite ready yet. And, uh, <laughs> and meanwhile, the people that took action are, are, have just left them in the dust. You know, I joke about it all the time, but I, I mean, I think about uh, back in the, you know, th that many years ago when the Real Estate Investment Network went out to Ontario, I think it was about 15 years ago, uh, where uh, we set up, you know, and started doing meetings and things in, and I mean, maybe even more, I've lost track of timing, but no, gosh, it was more. It was, uh, yeah, it was probably closer to 20 years ago, either way. But I always remember a couple things. Number one, talking about Hamilton, talking about Barry, talking about those areas where we were saying, this is a great, you know, you look into the future, these are places, and people are going, what are you crazy? Are you talking? You're talking about Hamilton right now. It's like you know, you know that that could, is only marginally worse, perhaps, than Scarborough. You know, and let alone Barrie. I mean, it's just crazy. And I mean, I think about the Rain members, the many Rain members that we know now that invested heavily in Hamilton, invested in in uh, in Barrie, uh, London, uh, you know, Aurelia, and they're like, yeah, life's pretty good these days. And uh, but to your point, is nobody is looking for a home run back then. They were just just willing to put in the time, uh, buy at market value, get as good a deal as they can, but continue to take action. Yeah, and and where I invested was like you know Hamilton, of course, being west of Toronto, yep. and and um, and uh, uh, Barry being north of Toronto. I, I invested more in the Oshawa Whip area, which was yep. east of Toronto. And although it wasn't listed as the number one, <laughs> you're doing fine. It was, it was it was it's done okay for yeah. me. So <laughs> yeah. and and it was funny. I. Uh, it was amazing how, although I, I didn't necessarily, you know, not like I was on stage, but you know, I was I was wearing my Oshawa Generals jersey and basically in a in a screaming red banner was sort of saying, you know, come to me, I'm ready to invest in Oshawa, you know, and come with me. And some people did work with me on that yeah. in the rain meeting. So a lot of people just 
you know, probably mocked me because I was uh, the big fat guy in a red jersey. But, uh, yeah, well, it's interesting. And, and these are things that, you know, to your point about hitting singles and doubles, uh, you know, we started talking about Ottawa a dozen years ago, back in the days where Ottawa's was boring. I mean, gosh almighty, singles, doubles, you know, just chug away. And we kept encouraging members to, you know, buy for cash flow, check it out. Then in, when the transportation changes and the rapid transit system started to change in Ottawa, we really cranked it up going, guys, pay attention to what's happening here in Ottawa. And uh, really excited about the Ottawa members who, in fact, did take action in Ottawa. It's all to say this, really, is that, uh, to your point, is that everybody looks for that home run when if you just look at the economic fundamentals that drive a market and just chug away over that longer period of time, like you, there's some really great growth there because historically, rents, although sometimes painfully slow, rents also increase. In, on top of the values. So, uh, you know, that's really the power of real estate. And what I like about your message, Michael, is that it really is about just chugging away. You know, it is really about just keep one step at a time, one step in front of the other, make your mistakes, put in the corrections. And uh, here you sit today and, and you're in pretty good shape. Yeah. And, you know, and even with regards to rents, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, you're, you're, you've got an advantage over, over us in Ontario in that mm. You've got uh, a more um, advantageous political system than, than yeah. we do. Uh, but honestly, it's taken me a long time to acknowledge this, but but actually the restrictions that are offered in Ontario, that are, that are done in Ontario, has done nothing but increase the property values yeah. and rent values yeah. in this market. Yeah. And and because I've always targeted the AAA tenants, uh, like I've, I've actually got a tenant that we just put in earlier this year where she's got a credit score in the low 800s, six figure income. She's a lawyer and uh, she just got out of school and and her and her partner is making 50, 60 grand a year and works for the municipal government. And so like they've got like a 160, 170 income combined. And uh, and that's the kind of tenants that we're attracting more and more now. And you might think, well, why are these people not buying? Well, you know, it's a lot different than when you and I were kids where we can get a job, you know, and then six months later can can get a down payment to buy a house. Nowadays, to, to buy an $800,000 bungalow, you, you need to have sixty dollars to $80,000 down payment yeah. and, um, you know, and, and obviously no debt. And so these kids that are getting out of school with $50,000 in student debt, uh, it's going to take them a heck of a long time to save mm -hmm. for a home. Yeah. And so they're going to be renting for three or four years. So, so my wife and I, we're renting to the people that are, they're not leaving me because they want to find another place to live that's a, that's the, with a better landlord. Yeah. They're leaving me because they're buying a house. Yeah. And, you know, and that's okay. And then, oh, by the way, when they move out, I'm going to raise the rent another four or $500 and my cash flow numbers just get better and better and better. And that's what I've been having. I've had a lot of AAA tenants that are leaving me because they're buying homes right now. Well, it is, you know, we talk, uh, man, I can get so fired up about government and making their decisions. You know, it's always politics over policy. And, you know, we've said all along that rent controls to the degree that Ontario and BC have put them in place have caused far more headaches and uh, more difficulties for not only affordable housing, but renters and have driven the prices have been part of it's one of the things that are driving the price of, of houses up. And it's really, really disappointing that you cannot get a politician to make the hard decisions because they just want to get reelected. So it's politics over policy and rather than uh, make those tough decisions. But I digress immediately when I get into these conversations because it's or one let, of those let, buttons. Let me say something on that real quick, though. It, like, it's amazing how politicians want to offer more services, and to do that, they often want to see increased population. Yeah. So in the GTA, we're seeing increasing population like nowhere else in Canada. Mm. And, oh, by the way, uh, we're, we're expanding our green belts, so you can't do urban sprawl. Yeah. And, um, with, um, and no politician is going to pass bylaws allowing for densification because their <laughs> municipality... Uh, their their constituents don't want it, and they're yep. going to get booted out. Yep. So so they can't. And, and and oh by the way, they're also attacking every builder and putting as much red tape as possible, so they can't add new properties. Dude. So we've got more people coming in. There's no ability to sprawl. <laughs> there's no ability to densify, and there's uh, it's very difficult for builders to go. So oh, unless you think that one of those things is not going to happen, or there's a massive decrease in population. 
in the GTA, guess where prices are going to go? Just guess. Well, yeah, of course, there's no choice. I, I mean, and you, I don't know if you're doing this intentionally, but I just I get so fired up about these conversations. And, and of course, as a national organization, as much as you're focused in your backyard, which is perfectly OK, I look across the country and I look at what's happening across the country. And of course, Ontario, Toronto, GTA, Vancouver, you know, the bigger populations, Montreal. And the realization that that this isn't going to go away, there's a there's a big disconnect today as we talk, given what's happened with COVID and pandemic and all the things that unfolded over the past, you know, couple of years, year and a half, whatever it's been, seems like forever. But the point is this, is that to your point, you know, the government, I always say, you know, I often have come up to this phrase, which is when the people who are trying to solve the problem are the same individuals who are that who created the problem we have a fundamental problem. And, uh, you know, this this issue of builders and, and developers being handcuffed, I mean, the number of years it takes to take a project and develop it from the time of buying a piece of property and getting it rezoned and getting licenses and permits is now years. And so I don't know how, ever, how we're ever going to get in front of the supply issue. And, you know, and, you know with your credentials, you have a bit more, perhaps, ability to talk to some of the power brokers in the, in the Canadian real estate or Canadian government. For, for the vast majority of us, honestly, I, I used to do angry Facebook posts just because it made me feel better. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what it was, but it was probably yeah. about three, four years ago. And certainly at the beginning of COVID, where it really struck home with me, I, I thought, you know what? I can't beat it. I'm not going to be able, nothing I'm going to be able to do is going to make a huge difference in, in, in the policy that's going to be decided in the next it's couple true. of years. So how, how can I benefit from it? And that's, I, I sort of changed my thought process. And so uh, both from an equity standpoint, I started to invest in a lot of what was called the COVID stocks that, and they've just done incredibly well. And, and honestly, owning AAA rent, retail or tri AAA rents uh, AAA properties and getting just raising of rents. And, and, and here's the thing I like to mention as well is this isn't getting reported nearly as much, but in the GTA, we've been seeing an actual decrease in the number of rentals out there. And why that is, is because we've seen about a 30% rise in property values. Yeah. Uh, we've actually seen a lot of uh, investors that have gotten frustrated with the Ontario government rules and, and other things too, and just simply capitalizing on the profits. And they've been selling and who's been buying has been people moving into these properties and evicting the tenants. So despite the fact that we've had a surge in population, I would venture to say, and you know, no one's going to know definitively, but I bet you a three to 5% drop in GTA rentals is, is out there right now, especially in the single family, two, two unit and three unit properties. You're talking about on the supply side? On the supply yeah. side. There's, there's simply less supply and there's more demand. Yeah. And again, we're not... I'm no longer in the real estate market. I'm in the rental market. And and my market's never been better than it is right now. Yeah, and I don't see that changing. I mean, we we have to keep in mind that you know, as much as we talk about, you know, the, and and I and I do have some empathy perhaps for politicians in that when they try and take a stand around doing certain things around development, for example, and densification, then you have the NIMBYs move in who are going and they're, you know, threatening their lives or threatening not to vote for them because as much as people say they've got all this compassion and empathy for those people who can't find affordable housing, guess what? You can have affordable housing, but you just can't have it in my neighborhood. So, you know, it's it's one of those never ending cycles. And I think to your point, uh, you know, your Facebook, your angry Facebook posts. I'm on that page, too, because ultimately it's, you know, it's really much ado about nothing. This is a it, we're going through what we're going through, you know, from a, a, a society. Uh, interesting things are unfolding in the world of real estate. I love this discussion because, you know, when we look nationally and I look and and and, you know, I look at what is shifting in other, you know, we talk about Alberta right now. Alberta is one of the most affordable provinces to move into, and it does have a long-term outlook that's looking pretty good. Having said that, you look at the work-from-home scenario, and people go, well, why Alberta? And I go, well, consider Calgary. If you don't have to go into the office, we're seeing it in Nova Scotia as an example. I like to use it as an example. Nova Scotia, we'll talk about Halifax specifically, is, is that we're seeing population growth, but it's not because there's more job growth. I mean, unemployment is still 13%. But the reality of it is, is now if you don't have to go to an office, you're going to move 
to those affordable areas where you're speaking to affordability and lifestyle. That's an interesting trend that's starting to develop. Now, will it continue? I don't know. Some recent polls of saying, make me go back to the office and, uh, you know, screw off. I quit. So it's a, it's going to be an interesting dilemma as things go forward. To your point is, uh, you know, the the amount of units available for rent are changing in those highly populated areas. And by the way, borders still are not open. And we actually don't know when they're going to open. Uh, they talk about it, but I don't know. Uh, you have to have some, I guess, foresight and optimism that this, uh, you know, the vaccination issue, the pandemic issues, the next strain issues are going to go away to some degree that is actually going to open the borders in a meaningful way. Uh, when you look into it, because you do math and you do numbers and you're kind of looking for it, uh, any any reading on any or all of that, Michael? Well, I, I can tell you from a personal standpoint, I, my goal this fall is to... Uh, to escape from the country and to uh, to go on a drive on my Corvette convertible <laughs> along uh, Route 66 from Chicago to uh, to California and just do a drive and top down and experience life. I've been double vaccinated. Uh, I'm in a I'm in a mindset where I'm I'm ready to move on in life and I'm yeah. taking some educated risks. Yeah. So again, I I honestly. I don't have any insight. I, I've actually stopped watching the news because it just frustrates me. I'd yeah. rather just not do that anymore. Yeah. I'm living my own life and I'm doing pretty darn well with that. So. That's excellent. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I checked out of mainstream media many, many moons ago. Uh, but having said that, we still do the research. And, and because of what we do, I can get pretty uh, fired up about what's happening in the economy. I'm still very proud of Canada. And real estate aside, I mean, I'm a business owner. So I'm always paying attention to what's going on on in the world and, uh, you know, just trying to really look at risk mitigation. And to your point uh, that you brought up earlier, Michael, is within all of this is there's a way to look at it and be, you know, bitch about it or complain about it. I'm not actually looking at it that way. I'm actually always looking for opportunities within the new environment, the new trends that seem to be emerging, because this will drive new trends and new opportunities. Uh, I'm kind of wired to uh, do that. You know, I'm on the Freedom 95 program, which is only to say that that I don't ever see myself not doing something. And, uh, you know, that's my attitude, you know, over the past few years. Who knows? Maybe, you know, maybe in a few years from now, I go, ah, screw it. I'm shutting it down. I don't know. But well, right now, but, I get fired up about way, it. You're, what you're doing today is what you want to do. Yeah. And and that is part of freedom in my mind. Yeah. And like I like for me, I'm not I'm not sitting around you know, watching um, uh, Gilligan's Island's reruns all, all night long. <laughs> yeah, of course um, not. Yeah. I'm not doing that. If anything, I'm actually, you know, I, I feel like it's funny. My amount of money I've spent on education this year will actually be my highest number I've ever spent mm. with the money I've spent on uh, on uh, in real estate or no, not, well, not so much real estate investing, but equity investing, as well as uh, I, I had uh, book launchers and Julie Broad, who's, a uh, well-known person in yeah. in uh, Rain Purple. Yep. She, uh, she's helped coach me along the process to get my book to where it is today. So with all of the coaching I've been spending, I actually, I've run my numbers. This year is going to have more coaching dollars spent than ever before. So I'm not necessarily sort of, uh, you know, packing in the chips and sort of say, okay, you know, take me now, Lord, I'm uh, ready. No, I'm, <laughs> now's the time to do more what I want to do. And, and so I, I can see you doing that as well. And you know, you might not be out, you know, flogging across the country as much as you used to do. And that's OK. Yeah. Yeah. And and for me, you know, there's no doubt about it. Uh, the only airplane I want to get on is when I go see my grandkids or my family. And other than that, I'm not really inspired to travel, uh, given the the current con not only the current travel conditions, but you know what's on the other side of travel. And uh, these are conversations that are really fresh in my mind, given some of the opportunities that are that are showing up. And it's uh, it is really an interesting time uh, through it all. So when we look at you know the past, you know period of time with pandemic and all the things. And and to your point, by the way, uh, I still have a coach, you know, and, and I'm just getting involved with a, another new coach. I love I, I love the space to uh, be supported and, and I need a space to speak into and be heard and, uh, you know, to help me keep my head out of my own ass, because sometimes we tell these stories to ourselves and having support and a coach for me has always been a way of uh, keeping on moving forward and not drinking my own Kool-Aid, whether it be good news, bad 
bad news, whatever it might be. But what have you, is there some takeaways that you have or some things that you've learned, Michael, uh, through this period of time? I know you've written your book. Uh, you've had many conversations with people. Any kind of ahas, epiphanies, uh, you know, life lessons, philosophies that have shown up for you? 100%. And, and so first of all, you know, because my circle that I'm with now, um, we're also, in addition to me, they were real estate investors, and they've seen the same uptick in, in property values that, that we've seen. I've got a bunch of friends of mine now through my real estate circles that are all in their mid-50s or early 60s, and, and they're all still working their nine-to-five jobs, kind of almost afraid to give them up. Mm-hmm. So I'm finding myself almost as a mentor for them, not to help them build more wealth, but to give them to, to convince them that they don't need to work anymore. And um, and that's something that's, uh, or their nine to five job anyway. Uh, you know, there's so many other venues that they can build their wealth with. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's, that's one real, it's been a, a real thing for me is I've been really trying to find other interests and find other passions. And, 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 you know, in, in my case, I've been, I've been doing more, mentoring than I've ever done before. That's great. Uh, it's funny, you mentioned this at the outset that I really didn't put my hand up as much. And and that's kind of true. Like I was the rain realtor of the year twice, but you know, that's just simply due to my nine to five job. But uh, I honestly didn't feel that I, it was appropriate for me to do that uh, because there were such great people at rain that I just said, well, you know, who am I when these guys are doing all of these things? And it wasn't until I reached a point where I, I thought I had a story to share that, that I felt that I should put my hand up and sort of say, okay. And I think that's kind of the same message over and over again that I've been saying is that I found that although wealth is really, really important, uh, when you hit a certain point, you know, at the end of your life, a lot of people tell you over and over again that it's what they accomplished and who they spent time with, which were the most important things. And if and if wealth was able to give me choices to do what I want to do and travel where I want to go and accomplish all of my bucket list accomplishments that I want to have done, that's isn't that what real estate's all about? It's not. It's not like I'm. Um, I woke up at one morning and I said, "Good, I get to be a landlord." You yeah. know that that never ever happened. It never came from my mouth. But what it did do is it gave me a ton of choices. And uh, you know, again, it was it is running a business. It's 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 taking responsibility. But once I did that. It just gave me so much more flexibility and freedom to move forward. So, you know, when we think about Michael, you know, we often talk about what was your why uh, you've worked hard, you know, both in your real estate business and your real estate investing business. Uh, you know, we talk about what is your Belize? What is your why? Was Did you have it back then? Were you really looking at it and being able to move forward in your business and in your real estate investing because you had a pretty clear vision of what you thought it might look like at the end of whatever road you got to, whatever next phase that you got to? Yeah. Uh, you know, again, I remember sitting in the classroom at the rain meetings and and I was having, I was, I, I used to struggle with determining what my Belize was. And, mm-hmm. you know, I always did the cop-out answer is I want to make sure my son is well taken care of and all those things. And, and, you know, I want to be able to travel more and, you know, the things that everyone says, but, you know, I, I don't think I really had a real grasp as far as what I wanted. And, uh, and it's sort of evolved over time. And for me, I, I fell in love with Southern California. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be able to live the life I want. I, 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 I still love Canada. I, and I, I love Ontario and I love my house that I'm in right now, but I love it a lot more between May and October. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't love it as much from November to March. <laughs> and, uh, and a, so, yeah. um, so to be able to travel and to, to have a, um, a place in one of the more expensive markets in North America, uh, Southern California, uh, Huntington Beach, California, and Orange County is my is my dream location. And right now, we're spending two months a year there, and I'd like to eventually spend four to six months a year there mm-hmm. and just live my best life and uh, and and basically commute back and forth. And you know, I, I don't want this cottage in the Muskokas. That wasn't me. Having a cottage overlooking the ocean in Southern California is more my style. Beautiful. Well, listen, Michael, it's been great talking today. I'm uh, really happy for you in the release of your book. But as we wind down the conversation, we still have to do some rapid fires. You know, we got to get through those questions a little bit. And uh, let's take a couple of minutes to do that. I'm ready. You're ready? Okay. So have you got a favorite inspirational quote? 
Well, I, I kind of already said it, actually. It's it's the Bill Gates quote. I Sorry, I'm repeating myself. That's perfect. Uh, is, uh, it's the uh, people tend to under uh, overestimate what they can accomplish in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10. That's, yeah. that's it, what I say all the time. It's a great point. I, I don't know who made the quote, but I always say to... Uh, you know, to rain members that, you know, we're doing some coaching with, I always say there are no unrealistic goals. There are only unrealistic timelines. So uh, that's really kind of speaks to what you just said there. So uh, your room, your desk, or your car, and I know you're a bit of a car guy, but your room, your desk, your car, what do you clean first? My desk. I, well, I, it, right now it's, it's messy and it's irritating <laughs> the hell out of me right now, let me tell you. Okay, there you go. Do you have a, uh, do you have a favorite tune? I've become a real, I've always liked Queen, but uh, which is my favorite Queen song? I, I sort of vary from time to time. But you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix it up and I'm going to say Margaritaville because I'm in kind of a Friday night Margaritaville kind of mood right now. <laughs> Beautiful. How about a movie? Uh, probably uh, Major League. Uh, I'm a baseball guy mm -hmm. uh, and that would be it. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. Uh, Field of Dreams is important for me or a big one for me as well. And yeah. uh, and if I'm feeling kind of uh, fun, I, I, I go for Greece. I, I'll, 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 I'll dance with uh, John Travolta anytime. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, do you have a favorite swear word? Um, well, we all pick the same fuck word, so that's just the that's just you know. But does. yeah, you know, I feel guilty sometimes because you know I'm an f bomber too, you know. And uh, but I get guests that go, man, no, I don't really swear. I go, what the hell? Yeah, I I I, I use it. It's funny when I I grew up, I I was I was born Roman Catholic. Yeah, and um, and all through my teenage years, I was afraid to say even damn. Yeah, and. Uh, so now I use the word fuck more for effect as one of my favorite adjectives to yeah. help drive a point home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you get to the gates? Um, oh, boy. Um, I, I would say, you know, it's funny, it's changed a lot over the years, but now it's, you know, congratulations, you've made it. You've, you've, uh, uh, you've done, you've, you've helped a lot of people. You've, you've really made it. You've, uh, you've earned your spot here. Beautiful. And Michael, what are you grateful for today? Oh, I, I, I'm going to do a shameless plug here with Rain, but I, I'm really honestly grateful for, for all, all the coaching and mentorship that I had early on. It's, it, again, guys like you, that you, you had no need to do this stuff and to be traveling around the world to do all this crap and, and talking and, and Don Campbell as well, of course. And the fact that you guys went out and did that, I'm I'm really grateful for the mentors that I had along the path. Beautiful. I, my friend, am grateful to have had the opportunity to talk to you again today and uh, in the past as well. Uh, I definitely and sincerely am always grateful for my family and my health. And uh, I wish you the absolute best on your journey and uh, with your book. I'm sure there's another one that's going to come out in behind this one at some point and uh, I look forward to uh, having, uh, having a read of that one as well. So, Michael, uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, appreciate it. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.